Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. You know, one thing the holiday season tends to do for me, and, and maybe this happens with some of you as well, but I tend to get nostalgic at Christmas time. There are, uh, there are just some things about the holiday season that remind me of a time in my life many, many years ago when Christmas was not just a miraculous, but even a magical event. Sometimes this nostalgia is triggered by seeing all the Christmas lights. Sometimes it's triggered as I'm Christmas shopping. Sometimes it's triggered by watching one of the numerous classic Christmas specials on TV. But also, like many of you, one of the uh, most vivid memories that I have of Christmas as a child was how excruciatingly long it seemed to take between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. Which, as an adult, seems pretty ironic, doesn't it? I mean, as a child, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas seemed like it took forever. A child hears there's three weeks until Christmas, and they're elated. They're thrilled. A parent hears there's three weeks until Christmas, and they panic. But no matter how slow the time seemed to pass, no matter how long it seemed to take until we got to Christmas, we always got there, didn't we? There's always been the promise of the certainty of Christmas morning. Another thing that many of us might share in common when we think about Christmas as a child was, and be honest, how many of you used to search your house trying to find where your parents hid your Christmas presents? Anyone? Anyone want to fess up? Okay, next question. How many of you actually found some of your presents while you were searching for them? Anyone? I actually did this one year, and for me, it turned out to be an extreme disappointment because, first of all, the present I found, it wasn't even anything that I had asked for, and second, it was such a lame present, I really couldn't enjoy it. But here's what you need to know. This idea of waiting, of anticipation, of, of time passing slowly, that is actually the dynamic that sets up the very first Christmas story. Because from generation to generation to generation, there was always a handful of Jewish people who waited every single day for the arrival of not Santa Claus, but of the Messiah. And amazingly, in every single generation, there's been a group of people who every single day lived their lives in obedience to God's command, knowing that this could be the day that the Messiah arrives. But unlike the certainty of our Christmas day that would always come, those waiting for and anticipating the Messiah, they waited and waited and waited. And this went on for generation after generation after generation, and nothing happened. In the meantime, the majority of these people who waited and waited and waited for the coming of the Messiah, many of them died, and there was no fulfillment of that promise for them. Yet they continued to pray. And they waited, and they remained faithful. Even when many among them, in some instances, probably even family members, would walk away from God and abandon their faith, giving up hope, deciding that this coming Messiah thing must have been a fairy tale and a myth, and, and who in the world would devote their lives to a story that is a couple thousand years old or a, a promise that is a couple thousand years old? But there was always, always, always a group that got up every day and lived as if this could be the day that the Messiah shows up. Not unlike those times in our life where God seems silent, maybe seems distant, inactive, 
And then we begin to look around and say, why am I even doing all this? Why am I even going to church? Why am I even serving? Why am I even giving? Why am I even continuing to believe? Why am I obeying? Why am I missing out? Why am I continuing to day after day after day live my life as if there's something bigger than me, as if the Bible really is true, and as if there's something to all this church and Jesus stuff? I mean, am I just following along because my parents taught me this? Am I just doing it out of routine because it's something we've always done? Or maybe you're continuing to believe because you're afraid not to believe, afraid that if you do abandon your faith or walk away from God, that somehow the wheels will start coming off and it won't go well for you. You serve God long enough and there will be times, seasons in your life, where in your attempts to be faithful and good Christian people, you'll look around and begin to think, what am I getting out of this? I mean, what's the end game here? Is there anything really to this? Which leads us to the big idea of this message, which is the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope is not in vain. And if you've ever had that thought, that question, or, or maybe you're in one of those periods of doubt right now that, that the Christmas story is for you. So for this morning, as we launch this Christmas series, I want to introduce you to two of these people who remain steadfast and continue to believe and continue to wait, even when everything around them seemed to indicate that they should give it up. Here's how their story begins. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, that would be the Herod that killed all the babies in Bethlehem. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. This meant that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both from the priestly line of Israel, which means basically they were both PKs, preacher's kids. In other words, they both came from a spiritual heritage. So anyway, as we continue reading, we, we start seeing some tension in this story. In verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, which meant in this context that the writer Luke believed that when God looked at these two people, he went, now there's a couple that are doing it right. There's people that are living the right way, observing all the Lord's commands. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, there are a lot of commands there. I mean, we don't even like to read through all that stuff let alone try to obey it. I mean, that stuff's so complex. Yet here's a couple that was doing their best to live their lives according to those guidelines. And here Luke tells us that this couple was living blamelessly before God. In fact, if you would have sent a, a private investigator to follow these two around, there would have been nothing to tell. And here's what's amazing. They were doing what they were doing as priests and as followers of God based on promises that had been given a couple thousand years earlier. Think about that. And for the last 700 years, God had done nothing for the nation of Israel. And yet these two people, they got up every day, day after day after day, and lived their lives as if Christmas is coming. Lived their lives as if the Messiah could come that very day. Lived their lives as if God is actually going to keep his promise. And again, there's no evidence that God is going to do any of that. And yet, they're still living blameless lives. And so we want to peek into their lives. And, and so, Zechariah, Elizabeth, all this blameless, righteous living you're doing, you're, you're, just, you're just such good people. How's that working out for you? Well, let's look at the very next verse in verse 7, Luke 1, verse 7. But they were childless 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both well advanced in years. Okay, now let me get this straight. You're, you're just getting up day after day after day, waiting for the Messiah, serving in the temple, being good people, missing out on all those opportunities, and this God that you are so faithful to leaves you without an heir, leaves you childless. And remember, in this culture, being barren was always the woman's fault. In this culture, women always got the blame, never men. In fact, oftentimes in that culture, if a woman couldn't get pregnant, not only was it considered her fault, she was also viewed as being cursed by God for some unknown reason which most people would just assume that the woman committed some grave sin at some point in her life and being barren was God's way of punishing her. And so Elizabeth, this righteous woman who lived blameless before God throughout her young years, her middle years, and even into her latter years, it wasn't going to happen for her. In fact, if her barrenness wasn't pathetic enough, just to sort of punctuate how hopeless the situation was, look at the end of the verse. And they were both well advanced in years. In other words, it's over. It's finished. It was too late. Their time had passed. God had done nothing for them lately. And we find out later in the story that they had prayed. They prayed the desperate prayers of any couple who wants to have a child. And God had said no. Elizabeth lived with the shame and the pain of this all the way into her old age. Now, here's what is so ridiculous about that. Their faithfulness to God, think about this. Their faithful, their entire faithfulness to God was based on a promise made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. 2,000 years previously, God had supposedly appeared to Abraham and told him, I will make you into a great nation, which, okay, that, that actually happened, and, and, and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And, okay, that, that actually happened. I mean, Abraham's somewhat famous, right? Most of us have heard of Abraham, right, before you got here this morning. And that was about 4,000 years ago. But here's where it starts to break down. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And for a while that did happen. And I will curse those who curse you. And we're still trying to figure you know, that one out, what that all means. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so this was kind of the, the root idea of why the Jews believed that there was something more for Israel. Because if you know the story, after God gave Abraham this promise, he finally had a son who had a son who had a bunch of sons who moved to Egypt and later became the 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. And then they moved back to their land, the, the promised land. And then they became a kingdom and things really took off. And it looked like maybe during the age of this kingdom that God was going to bless all the peoples of the earth through the lineage of Abraham. And there was David, and then there was the golden age of Israel through Solomon, and things were rolling right along. I mean, if ever there was a time for God to leverage the nation of Israel to bless all the peoples of the earth, it was during the time of Solomon. Because shortly after that, things went south real quick. The nation split there were wars, there were good kings, there were bad kings. And between the time of Solomon's followers up until the time that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, the nation of Israel, check this out, the nation of Israel was overthrown or conquered by an opposing nation over 25 times. The Syrians conquered them. Uh, over The Babylonians conquered them. The Greeks conquered them. The Persians conquered them. And, and by that time in history, Israel, Israel was, was no longer a player in world affairs. In fact, they didn't even have an army half the time. They were exiled for 70 years at one point. I mean, 
There was a stretch in history where the nation of Israel became less and less and less and less of a factor in world events. And the idea that somehow the whole entire world would be blessed through the nation of Israel that no longer had any leverage, the idea that somehow God was going to bless the world through the nation of Israel, not only was it not going to happen, it couldn't happen. There's no way it could happen. And then finally, insult to injury. In 65 BC, Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, marched into Jerusalem, occupied the city again, pushed past the temple guards, went right into the temple, past the priest, and marched right into the Holy of Holies, that place where the Jews believed that God dwelled, that place where only the high priest could go, and even then only once a year. For Jews, this was the most sacred place in the temple. In fact, the Jews believed if you went into the Holy of Holies unannounced and uninvited, God would strike you dead. And so the priest gasped that day as Pompey the Great walked right into the Holy of Holies, looked around, and walked out, and nothing happened to him. And word spread quickly throughout Jerusalem, and the implications were clear. Apparently, the Roman gods were more powerful than Jehovah. And think about this. Zechariah was a little boy when that happened. No doubt his father, just like Elizabeth's father, was a priest during that era. And no doubt he remembered the day that his father came home and tore his robes and mourned because the temple had been desecrated by the presence of a Roman general who ignored all of their customs and all of their traditions and all of their warnings and walked into the Holy of Holies and walked out and God did nothing. And yet... That little boy, knowing all this, Zechariah, still remained faithful to God and even went into the priesthood and served God his whole life. He eventually met and married Elizabeth, who also served God her whole life. Even when so much in and around their lives screamed, just give it up, Zach, Elizabeth, just give it up. Apparently God doesn't care about you. Why are you continuing to live your lives as though he does? You should just, just give it up, walk away and enjoy the remaining few years of your life that you do have because God, if there ever was a God, apparently has abandoned you guys. And if we had whispered that into Zachariah's ear or into Elizabeth's ear during these difficult years of their, their golden years, we would have been wrong because the reason Luke begins his story with this story is because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And the reason this story is so important to you and it's so important to me is because, as I said earlier, there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons of our lives where we wonder, is God there? Is God really there? Is he active? Is he listening? Does God care? Well, the answer is a resounding yes, and that's part of the thrill of hope that comes each and every Christmas day. Here's how the story goes. In, in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So basically how this worked was there were 23 groups of priests, and these groups of priests or ministers would cast lots, which looks a lot like gambling to our 21st century mindset, but they, they would cast lots or gamble to see who would be chosen to go before the Lord and burn incense on that given day. So really, this is something that, you know, if you think about it, may happen once in a lifetime for a priest. If he's chosen, he goes into the place where he stands right outside the curtain that divides the outer temple from the Holy of Holies. He stands right outside the Holy of Holies where God dwells. Everybody else vacates that part of the temple, and he offers incense to God. 
It's a very, very, very sacred occasion and an honor to be chosen to do this. They believe that God was in the casting of lots to choose which priest would have this honor. So verses 10 and 11, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So, Zechariah's in there all by himself. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So, he's in there kind of doing his thing, and just another day in the life of a priest trying to be faithful, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 12 says, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Check this out, verse 13. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. And, and this is the standard angel response. If you've read the New Testament and the Old Testament, the angels, they just go ahead and get this out of the way. Now, the reason angels have to start their conversation with do not be afraid is because when people see an angel, I mean a legitimate angel, they're going to be afraid. See, when I, when I hear stories, modern day stories of, uh, oh, uh, and then an angel appeared and I'm like, I don't know, because when an angel appeared and they had a conversation in the Bible, uh, I mean, it was kind of a, a not a real uh, easy conversation to have. Uh, this wasn't a nice, oh yeah, I saw the light and then I'm going to see all this. No, no, no. Uh, not a Bible angel. So when the, when the Bible angel appears, everybody falls on their face. They think they're seeing God. I mean, angels, Bible angels are big and powerful and they're scary. Even when they're not trying to be scary, they're scary. People say all the time, I wish God would speak to me. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want God to speak to me. I, you know, I read the Bible and it's like, it's so terrifying. Even when God like turns it down, you know, a little bit, it's still terrifying because God is God. And so this angel appears and this angel has good news and, and still Zachariah is like, Whoa, it's an angel, and, and, and he's, he's a good man. Imagine if it were you, okay? He didn't, even, he didn't even have anything to be afraid of, okay? You know, an angel appears to you, you just start confessing stuff. It's like, I didn't mean to, and I'll, I promise never to do that again, and so forth and so on. And the angel's like, no, 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 just shut up. Here, here's some good news, okay? Here's some good news. So here's what the angel says, and this is awesome. He says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. You know what? Wouldn't it be nice just to hear that sometime? Not that your prayer is going to be answered, but just th that it was heard. I would just like a confirmation every once in a while that, that an angel would appear and, you know, just, just maybe even a small angel, maybe even like a servant of an angel or maybe the first cousin of an angel or something like that. I would just want to know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know sometimes that, that, that your, your prayer was just heard? What if God just whispered to you, I've heard your prayer? That would be enough, wouldn't it? Just to know that he heard it says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. And John is going to become a, a famous John, isn't he? He's going to be John the what? John the Baptist. And this is how the whole story begins. And in verses 14 to 15 of Luke 1, he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. The story continues in verse 16. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Why would John the Baptist have to bring them back to the Lord their God? Because many in Israel had abandoned their, the Lord their God and had good reason to do so. God hadn't done anything in Israel for over 700 years. It was over. It was a myth. It was fun while it lasted. They were interested in stories to tell their children, but the God of Israel had long since abandoned Israel. 
verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then look at this in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, now he gets very diplomatic here. I mean, check, check this out, guys. Uh, he says, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Yeah, that's a very good comment. That's a, that's a very diplomatic way to say that. Good job, Zachariah. So, yeah, look at that very diplomatic statement when it comes to addressing his wife's age. I'm old and she's, uh, she's well, she's along in years. Right? In other words, he says to the angel, okay, I'm with you. Uh, I'm so glad you heard our prayers, but I'm thinking you're a little late. Uh, you know, we've been praying since see, we were 20. We've been praying when we were in our 30s. We even prayed we went ahead in our 40s, maybe even in our 50s. We almost quit praying in our 50s, and now I'm old, and my wife, she's old too. How's this going to happen? I just don't see it. And then watch the angel's response here, and this is great. In verse 19 of Luke chapter 1, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Look at this. This is great. What do you mean? How do you know it's going to happen? I'm Gabriel. I'm, I'm, Gabe, I'm an angel. You're talking to an angel here, Zechariah, and you're wondering how in the world this is going to happen? Verse 20. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And then this is my favorite part of the story. At their appointed time. Okay, wait a minute. You mean God has, God has had this day marked on his calendar all this time? You mean all these 700 years and since the glory days of David and Solomon, God has waited this long on purpose? You mean God has watched his people abandon him and walk away from him in droves because it looked like there's no way in the world the nation of Israel would ever bless the world? But you're telling me that God has been planning this all along? You're telling me that there was actually an appointed time? You mean, you mean God hasn't quit paying attention? He's not only heard my prayers, but the prayers of his people for generations? Yeah. You mean even though God has been so quiet, he has not been inactive, he hasn't lost interest? No. Because of the appointed time. In verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, verse 22, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Verses 23 and 24, the story continues. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But that was just the warm-up act. That was just the, the pre-concert concert. That was just the, the conversation before the conversation. This was just evidence that God was gearing up to do what God had planned to do all along. Planning to do what those who had remained faithful generation after generation after generation who had died and never seen the fulfillment of the promise but passed on to their children the hope that the Messiah will indeed come one day. Passed on to their children the hope that even though God might seem silent or distant or absent right now, 
He's as close and active in the affairs of our life as he's ever been. That God is a God that keeps his promise. And in every generation in Jewish life, there was a remnant of children who believed and they grew up believing and they passed it on to their children. Finally, the day had come when God would put into action what he had planned to do since he made the promise to Abraham that every nation on the earth will be blessed. And here's how the story concludes. And here's how our next story begins for next week. Verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin ple pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is our story, isn't it? This is our dilemma, isn't it? Do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we serve or do we just go do something else? Do we give or do we just spend and know that there's really nothing else to life, so just enjoy it while we can? Do we stay engaged? Do we stay in that difficult marriage or just do what everyone else is doing? Do we do that shady deal or do we continue to maintain our integrity? And we drive home thinking, why am I maintaining my integrity? Nobody cares. Nobody's even noticing. In fact, they're laughing behind my back because I'm a Christian and I have standards. And they wonder what the heck I'm doing it for. And you know what? I'm beginning to wonder what I'm doing it for. And if you're a student and you're just saying, I'm not going to cheat. And yet everyone around you cheats. And you wonder why. Why don't I cheat? Nobody gets caught. I won't get caught. Why am I so narrow? Why am I so conservative? Why am I always wondering what, what God thinks? Why am I so guilt-ridden when I sin? Why, do, why don't I just do what everybody else is doing? Maybe you're a freshman in college, sitting all alone night after night, thinking this really isn't getting me anywhere. God's not doing anything for me. I'm not gaining any influence. I'm just falling behind. In every generation, in every generation, there's a remnant of Christians that decide whether or not they will remain faithful in spite of the fact that they see God do seemingly nothing for them in the meantime. And the good news is this. If that's your situation, there's nothing wrong with you. If that's your situation, welcome to the party. This is a common experience of those who place their faith in Christ and have decided to follow him in spite of what they see going on around them, in spite of their circumstances. Welcome to the world of Zechariah and the world of Elizabeth, a couple that decided we're going to walk blamelessly before our God in spite of what we see, in spite of what people say, and in spite of the fact that we can't even imagine how we could have any children at our ages. That's the dilemma that all of us will face or are facing in our walk with God. The good news is it's normal. The challenge is will you be part of that remnant? The challenge is will you be that unique student, that unique teenager, that unique employee, that unique college student, that unique couple that decides we're not giving up, we're going to fight for this, we're not walking away. Are you going to be that unique person in the marketplace that says, I'm going to maintain my standards and I'm going to maintain my integrity? Because at the end of the day, I want to know that to the best of my ability, I lived a blameless life before God, whether I see God do anything on my behalf or not. And the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. It's a reminder that even when God is silent, that God is not necessarily still. And when it seems that he's still, it's not that he's uninterested. 
It's a reminder that God can do anything he chooses to do. It's a reminder that God pays attention and is moved by and blessed by those that remain faithful. But best of all, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope is not in vain. One of the Christmas carols that we sing during the holiday season is, Oh, Holy Night. And there's a, a line in the song that I think so captures the idea of this message. You're all familiar with it. How does the song go? Long lay the world. Long lay the world. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, long lay the world in sin and error. And then here's a word we don't see anymore. We won't use anymore. Pining which means longing, praying, waiting. Christmas is a reminder that our longing and our waiting and our agonizing is not in vain. Your faith in God is not misplaced. God is the God who keeps his promise when it seems like his promises are absolutely impossible to keep. That's part of the thrill of our hope. It's Zachariah's story, and maybe, just maybe, it's your story. Heavenly Father, I pray for all those who might be growing weary in their waiting and their serving. I pray they would be encouraged by the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth who remain faithful in serving you even when their circumstances and everything around them screamed to give it up, give it up. But they didn't, and because they didn't, because they remained faithful, God, even when it seemed like God didn't care about them, because they continued to serve and trust God, they got to experience the fulfillment of his promise, that miracle baby boy who became the forerunner announcing the coming Messiah. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Don't give in to discouragement. And whatever you do, don't mistake God's silence for God's absence. The promise of his word is that he would never leave us or forsake us, and he won't. If there's anyone here this morning, watching this morning, who's you're not in the right relationship with God, and you know it, or maybe you've never taken that first step of, of faith of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or, or maybe you did at some point in your past, but something happened that caused you to walk away or walk away from the church. Either way, if that's you, it would be my honor to lead you, to guide you back into a personal relationship with Creator God who invites us, who invites you to call Him Father. So if that's you, if you'd just be willing to pray this simple prayer with me, Lord Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I wouldn't have to. Forgive me for my sins, all those things I've said and done that have that have worked against your plan and purpose for me, that have separated me from you and, and uh, your purpose for my life. From this day forward, I'm choosing to look to you to follow your plan for my life, Jesus. So I invite Jesus Christ to come inside my heart, and I'm declaring him as my Lord and Savior.